0: at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started.
1: Well, we're back into our Masterclass series. I don't know if you remember, but we have traveled for a while through the Gospel of Luke. This is a big M back here. For those of you, there's a few of you, that that was tricky business, wasn't it? Figuring out what that was. It's part of our Masterclass series where we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been focused on uh, the metaphor of apprenticeship. Many of you have done apprenticeships. You know what it's like to be an apprentice. But culturally, we have an idea of how apprenticeship works when, as apprentices, we learn from someone who's a master of the trade, right? And like all apprentices, we have a bias toward actionable learning. And as Jesus apprentices, what we're doing is we're learning his kingdom trade by, in essence, following him around, watching him work, learning his ways, uh, learning how to use his tools in his way, following his example, putting his words and his life into practice in our lives, all from a posture of trusting faith. And we're using Luke, the gospel of Luke, the third of the four gospels, as our master class curriculum and our hope our desire is that we would each become more competent in the kingdom trade. And so, I'm looking at you, apprentices, today. Are you ready for some actionable learning?
0: <laughs> There's,
1: <not laughs> There's going to be a test. No. Well... In every trade's work, think of any trade you can think of, questions of compatibility arise, don't they? You know, is this computer program going to be compatible with that computer program? And you want to know, is this drill going to be compatible with that bit? Is this motor going to be compatible with that mud? Is this pipe going to actually be compatible with that fluid? Compatibility is often then strained when new situations arise where you haven't seen this before, you don't know if this is going to fit, and new apprentices, of course, are always trying to figure out what's the right thing to do in this situation. Well, when Jesus came on the scene, he has started to gather apprentices around him, and he immediately began to upset people's expectations. Jesus was a very upsetting guy. Do you know that? Very In Luke's gospel, his very first message got people so mad they wanted to kill him. And they were people who knew him when he was growing up. Just imagine that for a moment. It's kind of an ominous start, isn't it? This is not going to work very well. Well, after sharing a few more opening stories from Jesus' ministry, then Luke, and this is where we are now, Luke begins to relay a series of conflicts between Jesus and some people. People that were upset with what he was saying and upset with what he was doing. And it's been a little while since we are in Luke, so let me just remind you. Um, we're in Luke 5, to 39, right toward the end of, of, of chapter 5. But what came just before this passage today Um, Remember, he had healed and then also forgave the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof. Remember that guy? And when he did that, religious leaders were absolutely incensed. And the question they asked is, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, right? They're frothing a bit at the mouth at the time. Um, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus was very upsetting to these guys. And then he upset them even more because after that, he then hung out, partied with a bunch of lowlifes and outcasts after asking Matthew and to, Levi to follow him. Matthew, Levi, same guy. And the same religious leaders now are saying, why are you eating and drinking with those guys? Why are you eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? It is very fair to say that Jesus rubbed them a little wrong. And so Luke actually puts five of these conflicts, confrontations, in a row. We're in the middle one, the third one right now. But he puts them in a row. And we can see something profound begin to emerge. Jesus' coming provokes people's reactions. Oh, yeah, well, well, of course, we know that if we read the Gospels, he's provoking people all over the place. But Luke wants us to see something through this experience of conflict that Jesus' coming is provoking something. So our passage today is the third of five confrontations that Luke has lined up where Jesus' action provokes some kind of conflict, some kind of question. The way Jesus was living, uh, the way he was leading his own apprentices to live, did not mesh with the way that others thought it should be done. And wow, if you want to upset folks, you just go trounce on their expectations sometimes, right? I mean, most of the conflicts in your relational life is because someone's expectations were not met can we agree if you know, why, why do we get upset we expect it different right we expected the person we're living with to act a little differently we expected our kids to act differently and when things aren't done the way we thought that's when we get upset well jesus is upsetting people because they had different expectations Jesus didn't fit with what the religious elite thought was right and good and holy. And he was leading his disciples, his apprentices, to do the same. His way of living seemed incompatible with theirs. Well, they may have been right. Well, the third confrontation rolls out like this. Feel free to read it in your paper Bible, in your digital Bible, or just listen. Starts with Luke chapter 5, verse 33. They, and in the context, it's the same religious leaders who are already upset with Jesus for hanging out and eating with tax collectors and senators, same guys. They said to him, John's disciples, they're referring to John the Baptist, remember, John, the guy out in the wilderness who's baptized Jesus himself. John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Notice how, just pause, notice how the previous conflict was with who they were eating with and drinking with, right? And now the issue is how often they're eating and drinking at all uh, with a particular focus on, on the disciples. And, and just so you know, the next conflict, which we'll look at next week, is on how they're eating on the Sabbath. So there's a food connection here Who knew that Jesus and food could be such an explosive combination? Well, actually, read the Gospels and you'll see. But the question raised here is important because it highlights yet another difference in the practice of Jesus' own apprentices. Because from where the common people sat, and frankly, the religious people, you know, the real serious religious folks, they did some pretty noticeable things that set them apart. Combined with prayer and giving... Fasting, these three, form sort of the spiritual elite trifecta, you know? And everybody knew when they were doing it. It's why Jesus um, takes such pains in his Sermon on the Mount to highlight those three particular things and then dig pretty deep, in fact, pushing people down to the heart level and saying, you know, you should keep doing the fasting and the giving and the praying, but stop doing it in such showy, self-promoting ways. Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, what do we have here? We have holy people fasting regularly, and everyone knows it. Now, in Mosaic Law, only one day a year was required for fasting. But these Pharisees, because they will not be outdone, they fasted two days a week. Mondays and Thursdays they fasted, probably from sunup to sundown. But nonetheless, they were fasting those days, and they let everybody know it. They would kind of look a bit haggard, you know, uh, so that people would know they're fasting. And John's disciples apparently were fasting quite a bit because, let's be honest, they're following who? A desert hermit dressed in shaggy clothes who ate locusts and honey. I'm kind of thinking those disciples weren't any less rigorous than the Pharisees. Do you? Look at who they're, look at who they're tracking around. By pitting these two groups against Jesus, is doing something interesting because John's disciples were, were sympathetic toward Jesus. Many of John's disciples became followers of Jesus, The Pharisees were antithetical to Jesus. They hated him. And though definitely Pharisees came to follow Jesus later, they're typically a group that was pretty opposed to Jesus. And so it's interesting. He takes these two groups and basically says, I mean, you're out of step, Jesus, with both your enemies and your friends. What does that tell you, huh? You're clearly wrong, or at least, you know, less than committed. In fact, your apprentices are kind of lax. I'm kind of questioning the, their, their spiritual vitality, in fact. So how does Jesus respond to this criticism? Well, in a very fascinating way. Listen to this. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Okay, pause. What's Jesus saying here? He's making an analogy An interesting one. He says, just as it would be inappropriate to fast at a wedding party, it would be wrong to fast while Jesus is with them. Weddings are for feasting, friends, not fasting, right? And that's the very nature of them. In other words, Jesus is saying, my presence is changing their practice. And we'll swing back to that point soon, but I just want you to catch that. A couple more things to note. Notice how Jesus is comparing himself with the groom using an, a marriage analogy to refer to himself, this is an analogy that has deep roots in the Hebrew story, but it will also be developed further in the New Testament to describe the relationship of Jesus to the church and what's going on around him. Um, the other thing to notice here is how aware that Jesus is at this time of joy, this party time, this appropriate time when you don't fast, you need to eat, how soon that is going to come to an end, that his death is in fact imminent And that when he's gone, there will be fasting because fasting is often connected to grieving and and sorrow. And so Jesus is saying there will be a time when fasting is the appropriate reaction, but not now. While it's not fun to think of the death of the groom at the wedding, Jesus actually draws attention to that right here. Which, again, a bit of an ominous tone. But Jesus does all this to underscore a basic truth. My presence creates different practices. My presence changes the way people act. And that's only right, Jesus is saying. What you're seeing here is appropriate to the occasion. This is good. This is holy. This is true. And so then to drive his point deep, Jesus tells two parables about incompatibility. about how something new doesn't fit with something old, how this new presence creates a new practice. And so he goes on to tell them this parable. i continue to read now in Luke 5. Jesus says, No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. What's Jesus doing with these two parables? Well, he's sharing stories of incompatibility he's underscoring this profound truth that Jesus' new way of being can't be just sewn over, stitched as in stitched over, old ways of being. Not without ripping stuff. Not without everything getting ruined. He's saying, my new way of living can't just be poured into your old containers of living. Not without things just bursting and running out everywhere. That Jesus' ways and our ways are incompatible. What did people want? Well, they wanted wanted Jesus to do the healing thing, right? That's awesome. They liked him to say some good things to them and to teach them. And definitely, if he could rah-rah against the Romans a bit, that would be nice too. I mean, they wanted Jesus to fit into their already set up ways of living. They wanted Jesus to conform to their ways, to support their thing. And that's why people, especially religious people, were so upset with Jesus and tried so hard to humble him or demean him or correct him or get him to fail, get him to fall in line at least. And then when he didn't, they started plotting to kill him. But the truth is, we're not that different today, are we? If we're honest, and I hope we are, we can react to Jesus in the same way when we realize that he is not content with being added to our lives, kind of like we add another friend to Facebook, you know, sort of this rough yeah, person I know, met him somewhere, I'm not sure where I met him, but he's kind of there among the horde of acquaintances. Jesus is not content with that. His way of thinking and living will start to conflict with our perceived notions of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what means living a good life, Jesus' way of thinking about money, uh, Jesus' teaching on sexuality, Jesus' insistence on loving enemies. Well, that's very upsetting stuff. Do you know that? Very upsetting. Especially when we come across stuff that rubs us the wrong way because we think, that is not right. I mean, who thought that up? Anyone? No? Just me? We can really react to him, right? He cannot mean that, we think. Surely he shouldn't. I mean, really? Does he know where I live? How dare he tell us what to do? Who does he think he is? Stay in your lane, Jesus. That's what we think, basically. But Jesus is not willing to be our private spiritual buddy who makes us feel better about life but doesn't really impact the way that we think and act and live. As it has been said, he is the Lord of all or not Lord at all. All or nothing. And so Jesus pushes back. He in effect says, what the Father's doing through me is something brand new. And it can't just be added on top of your old way of thinking. It can't just be sewn on to your way of measuring life or measuring people. It can't just be poured into your set way of being holy or living the good life or being righteous or doing good. To know me, Jesus says, is to be changed by me. And that change, friends, will go deep. It will bring repentance if we're listening. It will lead to renewal and restoration. It will reorient everything in us and around us. In short, the new presence of Jesus will create new practices in us. And so in this little vignette that Luke gives us, the focus is on one particular practice, fasting. Not eating stuff. To fast or not to fast? You know, that's the question here. Jesus' disciples... We're standing out in this case, very interesting, they're standing out by their practice of not fasting. I mean, if that were the case, we'd all stand out, wouldn't we? Who fasts? Like, barely anyone. And I get it, because I hate fasting. And you know that's how I lost all my weight. It is not fun. It's so interesting, the disciples here are standing out because of their practice of not fasting, while in the previous conflict, of course, they're standing out because they eat a lot. Well, these boys are ha- interesting; they're kind of funner to hang wo- out with, though I'd say. But when you think about it, it shouldn't surprise us, because if we reflect on our own experiences, the new presence of someone in our lives often gives rise to new practices, doesn't it? I mean, when I first got married, I immediately noticed some of my practices start to change. There was a new presence in my life—a girl. And she was living with me. She was even sleeping with me. New presence. New practice. Amen? And then a baby came along. (laughs) A little boy named Ethan. And friends, that new presence created even more new practices. Introducing into my life a whole range of radical departures from my norm. Like... Changing diapers, changing sleep patterns, changing finances. Oh, I was so glad the day we, had to, we got to stop buying diapers. Our, our, our grocery bill was like cut in half at that point. And then another one came along. Anyway, uh, uh, new presence, new practices. And when you think about that in your own life, you think, well, yeah, that makes sense. When there's a new presence of someone in my life, maybe a new friend, uh, maybe a new neighbor, Certainly someone that gets into the intimate circle, someone you're with or partnered with or married to or or you have a kid or whatever. There are changes in the way that we live, and that's right. You know, people who attempt to just persist in their old patterns, you know, the late-night antics or the, the irregular sleeping habits or the hurry, 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 they add that on top of the new bride or the new kids. I mean, they're headed for a headache, right? often a heartache. And even as kids grow up and they start emerging into the teen years and we all admit at that point, who are these people? Because this is not the kid that was living with me two years ago. In other words, new presence in my life, teenager. Um, We have to adapt to that too, right? New presence of a, for example, in this case, an emerging young adult. Parents have to adjust, Their life patterns. They have to change, in fact, to stay connected to their emerging young adults. Because if they don't, if they just say, well, I'm just going to keep doing my thing, darn it. I'm the man of the house, or whatever they say. I'm going to keep, I'm just, they'll lose connection with their kids. Because they've got to change and adapt if they're going to stay connected to their kids. That's a parenting seminar off on its own. But it still highlights the point, new presence demands new practices. Or else things will burst and blow up if we don't. Well, what Jesus is saying here is very much that. My presence creates new practices. Practices that will often become incompatible with the old way of doing things. And yeah, sometimes those practices will make disciples stand out in ways that are sometimes very attractive and sometimes ways that are extremely repellent. We see this here in this story. We see this down through history. We shouldn't expect less now. The new presence of Jesus in our lives creates new practices in our lives. Now, I'd like to ask you to think of your own life right now. Can you think of a new practice in your life that is a result of the presence of Jesus in your life? Just just think for a moment. Ponder that. What is a new practice what is something that I do or think about or something that's changed in my life, the way that I think about people or the way I handle my money or the, 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 the way I respond, the, the way I schedule, the, the way I give? Um, just think, what is a new practice in my life that has come about because of the new presence of Jesus in my life? Can you think of something? Don't worry, I'm not going to make you stand and talk about it. But can you think of something? I'm really... Close your eyes for just a moment instead of staring at me. What is that? What is that new practice? It's important to think about that. Because often part of our challenge, of course, is that we can allow ourselves to be fooled into thinking... The ways we do things are the ways Jesus does things. And well, to ask what are examples of new practices in my life because of the new presence of Jesus can help us maybe come to a greater understanding of some of the things Jesus might be moving us toward in our own lives. I encourage you to share that with someone today. Maybe someone that you're traveling with, someone that you live with, someone that you're going to have coffee with later. What are some of the new practices that have emerged in my life because of the presence of Jesus. You might be reaching way back even when you think of that, but it's important to acknowledge it. Of course, Jesus is not saying that we don't continue to pray or practice actually much of what our brothers and sisters down through the ages have practiced, but rather that now how we live, what we do, and how we think and how we respond is now not based upon the way it's always been done, but rather based upon the new presence of Jesus in our lives. It's, it's now emanating from a different source and is oriented around the person of Jesus. And as Jesus leads us, what it means to be faithful to the Father, we know that he is the one that's free to add, subtract, change, edit, suggest, drop, based upon his leadership in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit that is ongoing So what's our application for today? Well, the first is to ask the compatibility question. Is that compatible? Which is hard to ask, actually, isn't it? Because we're so enmeshed in our way of thinking, our way of doing things, that trying to get a little separation is a real challenge. There's a lot to reflect on here, and I actually encourage you to do that. To maybe ask the question, where have I, Sometimes it's easier to ask, where have others, but careful with that one. Where have others attempted to sew a Jesus patch on something that is cultural or maybe ideological or maybe political or maybe religious that they just assume is right, but from what you're standing, you don't think so? I say be careful with that question because, man, we got to be watchful about pride. Watch that one. The only reason I say that can be a little bit helpful is because then you immediately have to turn it on yourself, okay? You immediately have to say, okay, okay, okay. If I can see that, that's true of them. Where is it now true of me? Where am I sewing the Jesus patch over top my old garment, my old way of seeing? my old way of thinking. Why am I assuming that this is just right? Is this coming from the life of Jesus? Is this coming from his teaching? And to ask the Holy Spirit to help you get enough distance, uh, enough of a pause, that you can kind of ask some hard questions. I suggest probably not alone. Maybe you need to do this with a good friend. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to be able to ask the question, is that compatible? with the life and the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what this immediately does for us as we reflect on this is we can recognize that the real issue with incompatibility, the real uh, key to recognizing incompatibility is actually nurturing the presence of Christ in our lives. Like knowing who Jesus is and that he is with us. Digging more deeply into the gospels Uh, leaning into some of the key spiritual formation practices, such as listening prayer, solitude, scripture meditation, journaling, spiritual friendship, and others, where we're slowing down enough that we can hear the voice of the Spirit and begin to recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives. See, the problem is, the reason why we can, sometimes when we look, I'm just, you know, we look out and we see, we go, how is that? That, that, that's not compatible. Like, and, and some of us, again, careful with judgment here, but we can say, what Jesus are they following? Because that's not Je- if, 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 if that's Jesus, then, I, I, you know, I'm looking here and I'm, I'm just not seeing it, right? Okay, careful with the judgment thing. But the reason why I highlight that is because what we can find is that we sometimes can cut Jesus off from the actual revelation of who he is in in the four Gospels, in, in, in the whole of Scripture, and begin to imagine certain things about Jesus, and then we immediately make him more compatible with what we think, right? We immediately make the fictitious Jesus more compatible to our ideologies and our political persuasions or whatever. And so the challenge is, is that we nurture an actual, the actual truth of who Jesus is, the actual presence of the real Christ in our lives, hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, and then He, His presence in our lives, and He is present, but as we come before Him with reflection, with meditation, letting the Holy Spirit speak, He will help us see what is incompatible as He reveals more of Himself to us. The key is, practicing the presence of Jesus in our lives with an openness to his leadership in such a way that when the Holy Spirit says, that is not compatible, that we're willing to say, whoa, Jesus. Okay, lead me in this. I feel very upset by this. I feel reactive. I don't want Jesus to touch that. I don't want Jesus telling me how to treat my kids or I don't want Jesus telling me how to think about this. But Jesus, you're the leader. You're either the Lord of all or you aren't the Lord at all. And so lead me in that. And so the, the, the key for this first application, as we ask the compatibility question, is that we actually make those intentional, weave those intentional practices into our life to stay connected to Jesus himself. That as we're staying connected to Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit form us in him, he will lead us into his practices oriented out of his life He will lead us in what is compatible to his kingdom. Does that make sense? Is that compatible? The second application for today is uh, very direct and has to do with our life together as a church, and that is this. And you're going to think, oh, great. He just is using the scriptures to promote something at the Erickson Covenant Church. You're right. I am. But I'll explain. The second application point is to join a connect group. Didn't you read that? Right at the end of Luke 5, it said, Join the Connect Group. (laughs) Listen, friends, and I'll explain this. But Connect Groups, uh, we're starting Connect Groups. They're going to start early October, run through uh, into into early December. And Connect Groups are a key way that we can deepen our understanding of Jesus and his presence in our lives so that we together can practice his way of living. Uh, the groups which are laid out on the table back there, there is a variety of groups on a variety of topics, although you'll see a, a fairly strong trend around Jesus. Um, there's a variety of things I'd like to check, variety of evenings, variety of times, stuff, once want you to look at it. But friends, one of the central ways that Jesus is present to us is in and among his people. Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus is present with us. And when we gather with brothers and sisters, whether it's here in this context or whether it's in a smaller group, in a home, whether it's in a coffee shop, there is a special way in which Jesus is present to us in a way that is unique and life-giving. This makes sense, actually, because so much of what Jesus wants to do in my life and in your life has to do with the way that we love others, right? Which, frankly, um, is, is really... Um, tested when we are with groups of people that are different than us. People can rub you the wrong way too. Did you know that? And, and, and when we get into a, a, a smaller group and we make a commitment to, to study and to pray and to learn together with brothers and sisters that I didn't pick, Jesus has this marvelous opportunity to work his heart into us in that context that often isn't possible in any other way. The other thing that I am uh, wanting to highlight here is that uh, one of the cultural expectations that most of us carry, that Jesus wants to crush, is this expectation that we can grow spiritually and lead a vibrant Christian life all on our own. Thank you very much. Like, Or at least with a few people that I like. But really, it's quite an individual affair. And so... I don't really, I mean, if we were honest, we'd kind of look around and go, I don't really need these guys. Seriously, I don't. Because I'm pretty okay without them. In fact, I'm better without them, right? I'm just being honest here. A lot of us carry this cultural expectation that I should be able to flourish, have a good life, follow Jesus. Well, maybe not alone, but with a select few. One of the reasons why we commit to the life of the church is because, well, A, Jesus did and died for it and made us family. Okay, there's all that stuff. But also because we recognize that I can't learn to love and follow Jesus without you guys. And that's painful. Isn't it painful? Jesus, you're rubbing me the wrong way right now. Because I look around and I think, I don't actually want to grow with these people. I kind of like some of them to stay away from me and others don't even start. But, oh, the two guys at the back, they're kind of cool. Jesus wants to crush that. He really does. And that's why we serve together. And that's why we're willing to get in relationship with each other. And one of the key ways in our church that we believe strongly to move forward is by in small groups, connect groups. Connect groups that are designed by intention for you to get together with people you don't know very well, some of them, to make new friendships The expectation is not going super intimate. It's not like that. It's a chance to get together, begin to grow together in friendship, gather around Scripture, gather around prayer, learn together what it means to be followers of Jesus together and see what the Holy Spirit might do. And so, the application for this second point is very, very clear. Sign up for a Connect Group this fall. We're going to be taking sign-ups this week, next week, and the following to the end of September. And then most of the groups are going to start the first week of October or the second week of October. There's a little bit of a, a difference between a couple of the groups. They will contact you, but you need to sign up. The goal of Jesus, by coming into our lives, is that his person, his presence, would so fill our vision, our lives, that we would be changed from the inside out, And that would ripple into every relationship, not only among us as the church, but ultimately through the church to the world. Jesus, his desire is that our minds would be so renewed, our imaginations so captivated, our hearts so warmed, that everything in our lives is drawn into his influence. That's his hope. And Lord, that's our prayer.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericsoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.